Hello and welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Today, our guest is Sheriff Michael J. Chitwood of the Volusia County Sheriff's Office in East Central Florida. Sheriff Chitwood has previously served as Chief of Daytona Beach Police Department in Florida as well. He's an executive member of PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum. Welcome, Sheriff Chitwood. Chief, it's an honor to be here with you. Hey, we're talking about de-escalation, and it's been bandied about for several years, often by critics who claim that law enforcement officers are too quick to resort to weapons or force in critical situations. Now, you require 40 hours of training to new members on a form of de-escalation training um, when they enter the department. Can you tell us how you came about this training? Yeah, uh, it's called Integrated Communication and Tactics, ICAT. Uh, as a member of the Police Executive Research Forum in 2015, uh, we went to Scotland to study how does a police department that doesn't carry firearms deal with mentally ill people with edged weapons. And what we came away with was they use time, distance, and cover to their advantage, where in American policing, we're trained hey, he's got a gun, we meet it with deadly force, and here's where we go. Where, where they do is they assess the situation through time, distance, and cover, and they try to establish communication and try to contain the subject. Now, that doesn't always work. We just saw happen a month ago. You had a, uh, I would call, for lack of a better term, a terrorist attack where somebody with a knife stabbed nine people, constable got there, no gun, had to intervene, got stabbed multiple times before their gun squad came in to kill the guy. So, uh, but what was impressive was that, that time, distance, and cover, using as much information as they can before they approached the subject who wasn't actively stabbing an individual. And the other thing that came out of it was the critical, critical decision-making model. When they screen their candidates, we look for push-ups, pull-ups, 1.5 mile run, shooting proficiency, they look more at the mental, uh, the ability to reason critically is what they really hammer home. So when they're recruiting, they are putting their recruits through batteries of tests to test their, how are they going to react? What kind of decisions are they going to make under, under, under stress? And that was what the biggest takeaway was that. And they based their, their training their critical decision-making model, whether it's a parking ticket or use of force, on the values of the organization, the ethics of the organization, proportionality of use of force, and the sanctity of human life. I'm not here telling you they're perfect, but there are some of those things that we took away that we said, hey, this is something we can employ here. Uh, you know, an example would be the mentally ill person who's armed with the machete, who is naked and he's on a cocaine high and he's schizophrenic, and his mom calls us and says, my son's in the living room. He wants to die today. He's going to kill a cop. You got to help me. And we say, step aside, man. We got this. And we open the door and walk in. He charges us. We shoot him and kill him. And mom says, I called you guys to help me, not to kill my son. So when we talk about the escalation and we talk about time, distance, and cover, it's like anything else. It's not a panacea. It's, a, it's in our toolbox because you're not going to use this when you got an active shooter. You're not going to use this when the bad guy jumps out of the car and opens fire on us. But it's for those calls where you're dealing with somebody with a brick, with a bottle, with a knife, 
uh, where you can establish time, distance, and cover, communications, think about what our next step is, what resources do we need to bring out there. And that's where it came, it came out of that. Uh, and the de-escalation award, which is on par with the Medal of Valor. I mean, if you can successfully talk down a mentally ill person who's armed, and that's just as good as getting in a shootout and stopping an active shooter is what we feel. And, you know, we, 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 we were met with a lot of resistance at first when we tried to preach this. Um, but I could tell you that with the, we had a study done of all of our use of forces done in 2017. And we revised our culture. We revised our policy and procedure. 2018, the entire department went through it. In 2019, at the end of 2019, we had use of force down 50%, crime down 40%. Uh, arrests were down almost, arrests were down, I think, from 12,000 to 9,000, and injuries against two officers was down 50%. So to me, I said, I think we're on to something here. We had two fatal shootings, uh, one of which was an active shooter scenario where, thank God, one of my deputies was shot in the head. Thank God he survived. We killed the assailant. And then uh, around Christmas time, we had a guy who held his sister hostage. And after hours of negotiating, he let her out of the house. As the SWAT receiving team was moving up to get her, because she couldn't really walk, the bad guy came out of the house and shot her in the head, and we shot and killed him. Oh, boy. Not a hell of a whole lot you're going to do in those situations. That's, that's why we train to be proficient in that. But we also gave out 12 medals for de-escalation in that year, where we had a suicide individual, where we had somebody who had threatened somebody with a knife or whatever, and they took the time to contain the scene, bring in what needed to be done, didn't rush in and successfully. Been, we've been doing this our whole careers. It's just now there's a fancy name to it. De-escalation, critical model of thinking. We've always been doing it, but I don't think anybody's codified it on paper and said, this is the direction we need to go. Here's what we're doing. Right. No, but I think um, you're on to something because we've, we have done de-escalation. We just haven't called it that. What stands out to, to what you just said about uh, time, distance and cover, you know, in hazmat, dealing with hazmat, um, you know, any of the seaburn, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, uh, we use the term of time, distance and shielding. So it makes sense. You're dealing with a hazardous situation you don't want to jump up on you want to stay back and use your wits to solve the problem. Uh, but in Scotland now, it, it sounds like great takeaways, but aren't they bound to this? Because that's their only tool, right? They've got thousands, 12,000 or so police officers, but only 500 have guns. So isn't this their sort of tool in their tool belt? Yeah, I mean, that's how they training. And when, the thing that was impressive was you watched everything over there on CCTV all over the place. So when, when they talk about this, you're watching live incidents. Mentally ill guy, he's got a knife. You know, all the American police chiefs were like, yeah, that guy's getting shot. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And, and he's advancing and the, and the constables backing up. Other constables are showing up. They have these, uh, they're called knife resistant shields that they're using. They're firing mace at them. And, and it just was just something to watch how they did that, where all the American chiefs were all like, this guy's getting shot. We're not dancing around with this guy. You know, he's six foot 10. He's got a knife that could go through three people and so long, but they did it and it, and it worked successfully for them. But that's how 
they train and that's their mindset at all times. Right. Anybody in America would see that and say, this guy deserved to get shot. Sure. Do they use any other less lethal weapons like beanbag or soft, soft guns? They have all that, but that's the armed guys are who normally carry that, that armed response team that they have. They have tasers, they have mace, uh, they have asps, they just don't have uh, a firearm. Okay. So have any of your officers been injured um, trying to de-escalate? Uh, what's that rate? Now, our, in 2019, our, 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 not only did our use of force, but our injuries against officers dropped by 50%. Oh, that's awesome. 63, 63 officers were injured. 55 of those injuries were just, uh, I want to say they required no hospitalization whatsoever. They're required by the use of force report that, hey, there was a struggle. I got a cut on my arm or something like that, that I had, you know, I think my wrist hurts a little bit or my hand hurts. So that, that was a really good thing that came out of this. Yeah, in, in California, uh, one of our um, penal codes that define use of force talks about no um, censure if, uh, if an officer pursues and uses force and there's no requirement to retreat. Have you um, received uh, opposition, police unions, civilians, who's who's been opposed to this kind of de-escalation? The police union is the same thing. Under the law in Florida, we have no duty to retreat. And my argument is it's not necessarily the duty. Nobody's telling you in a gunfight for your life or an active shooter, you have to retreat. Nobody, we're, we're removing guns from the equation. Sure. What we're talking about is the edged weapons, is the guy with the bottle, is the guy with the rock, you know, if a guy's got a cinder block, why would you run up on him, you know, and get hit in the head with a cinder block and have to use deadly force? It's like we talked about earlier. Right. You know, if, if you keep your distance from him and do what you need to do, normally the guy's so high up there emotionally, you want to try to get him down. That time this in the cover comes into play on that. So my pushback to the union was that here we are in 2019 and look at the injuries to officers. So. You know, nobody got hurt. I shouldn't say that. Deputy got shot in the head. Thank God, you know, that he, he, he survived. Uh, but that was an incident where there, there was no de-escalation. The bad guys running around trying to do a carjacking firing at, at responding officers. You're going to shoot back. You know, the incident with the hostage, you're going to shoot back. Nobody's telling you that. But on these other things where, you know, the real-time crime center is giving you an update. That, you know, Mike Chipwood is barricaded inside his house last year in another city in Florida. He did the same thing. He had a wooden gun. He came out. He wanted the officers to shoot him. All of those, all of that information should be factoring into you as you're making your way to the scene. And that's what the instantaneous part of this, the escalation is the real time crime center. If they can get that information into your hands, you're going to make better decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So. How could we replicate this uh, across the country? Is there any move afoot? Uh, well, ICAC training has been done by police executive research firm. About 80 police departments around the country have gone through it. I think Camden, New Jersey is probably the most successful of that. Uh, I think they've seen uh, complaints against police or, or use of force drop from like 65 to three. Uh, the number is incredible and their crime is down. So there are certain aspects of that time, distance and cover, getting as much information into your into the hands of the responding officers 
as possible. Um, less lethal, you know, do we have less lethal out there? Uh, we converted all of our shotguns to less lethal. So, you know, I, everybody has a lethal rifle and a less lethal uh, shotgun with them on top of their taser and their, and their, and their firearm. Um, we're also trying to emulate some other departments. Uh, I have 33 openings and, and, you know, we're never going to fill them with what's going on in today's climate. We're looking at maybe converting six of them into uh, having some social workers and some uh, mental health workers out there embedded with us on the street. You know, last night or two nights ago, we responded to a 10 year old who was throwing dishes at his mother and wouldn't do his homework. And I have two deputies going to that call. And all I'm saying to myself is, please don't tase him. Please don't tase him. Please don't tase him. But the 10 year old was five foot 10 and weighed 240 pounds. So that's why wow. mom. So people don't hear. They just see he was 10 years old, as you know. So I think if you look at the at the giving you that other tool of that critical decision model making, what, what is our ultimate goal here? You know, and I heard once from the deputy chief in Houston uh, who oversaw the SWAT team, he said on a SWAT call out, he used to always tell the men and women there, everybody goes home safe today. All of us go home safe and we're going to give the bad guy every single opportunity to get home safe. And I, and I think we're bad in law enforcement at not getting that message out that in all of your years in policing and all of mine and everybody listening to this, none of us got up in the morning and not start gun and said, Ooh, today's the day I kill somebody. Right. Absolutely. Chief, uh, Sheriff, I'm going to wind down a little bit, but I wanted to follow up with a couple of questions about mental illness. And one is what's the, what's the situation with uh, mental illness um, uh, and the police in Scotland? Similar to us? Yeah, mental illness is is extremely high in Scotland, just like it is in the United States. And a mentally ill person, I think one of the quotes was, mentally ill person with a knife in Edinburgh is no different than a mentally ill person with a knife in Detroit. And you have these two different mindsets in approaching that. Um, you know, unfortunately, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. The federal government, the state government, county governments, and city governments have kicked the mental health can down to the police. You guys got it. And now they turn around and say, well, you're not doing the right thing. Well, you, you shove everything down on us, <laughs> limited resources, limited training, and you want us to handle all of societal problems. So I think the best thing we could come up with is look at a way uh, to, to re-engineer ourselves when it comes to that use of force against that, that mentally ill person armed with an edge weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been talking with um, a, a, a private um, uh, professional about education for parents or relatives of chronic mentally ill people where they have to call the police, you know, maybe once or twice a week to calm the person down. Um, has there been any talk of training uh, or outreach to the families of these individuals, especially the chronic ones, to maybe educate them on what to do before the police get there or how to make the, the call uh, to the deputies. Um, what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah, that, that's a great point. As we're trying to structure this program and embedding mental health workers with us, uh, they all have that access to that file. But, hey, they know and we know and they're, they're trying to 
we're in infancy stages of this, but that's clearly something that we're looking at is how do we educate these family members that, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's like we get responded. I'm sure you do the same thing in in San Francisco to transport nonviolent mentally health health folks. Well, why are we being called for that? Because someone showing up in uniform is going to, they're not nonviolent once we show up. And the people were like, we don't understand what happened. What happened was a uniform walked in and they see handcuffs, they see a taser, they see a badge, and now they're off the chart. Why are you calling us to do that? And if some of those same families don't get it, put them in a car and drive them to where he needs to go without our, our help. But that's, uh, that is a great point, and that's it's something we're looking at as we're moving forward. Right. One of the things we talk about is, a, you know, a parent or a family member will call and say um, he's out of control and the police or deputies get to the door. And uh, where is he? He's up in his room behind the closed door. And behind the closed door is the box of chocolates. Right. You never know what you're going to get. So even to educate them <clears throat> to the point of keeping them in the living room on the couch, free of access to weapons or don't put them in the kitchen where, you know, all the knives you know, the edge weapons are. Yeah, I think that's a, it's an idea that we should be pushing out. Maybe Perf will take a hold of it. One of the things that we're looking to do is um, the, the biggest city, the county gets 550,000 people in it. The biggest city that I police is Deltona, Florida, has 100,000 residents in it. When we roll out this pilot program, part of what we want to do is have the deputy have a cell phone. So when you get the call exactly what you just said, the deputy's going to call the family and say, hey, this is Deputy Jones. Uh, I'm coming to your house and we're here to deal with Chris. And if you could do us a favor and maybe get Chris on the front porch or in the living room, is there any knives? So that you'll know in that six or seven minute time span that we're responding, we've been on the phone with a family member giving them directions as opposed to going in cold. Awesome. So that's a great point you brought up. That's great. Well, I appreciate your time, Sheriff Chitwood, and your leadership and your success. Um, I mean, these days, uh, some people are choosing to walk off the job. You're there and you're leading and you're doing a great job uh, looking outside the box of what we traditionally do. And for you, it's working. And um, congratulations on your successes. Uh, Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Chief. I'm sorry to see those good people leave. A lot of good people are leaving when we at a time in policing when you need the best and the brightest. Absolutely. So to our listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed the show and take a look under the uh, podcast and write in. Tell us what you think at policing matters at police1.com, policing matters at police1.com. What new training innovations are happening near you to decrease injuries to sworn and civilian alike? Um, Let us know. Give us a shout and stay safe out there. 